Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. So I have a question to begin tonight, though, with, uh, with our sermon tonight. I had a quick question. Is anyone out there consider themselves a handyman or a handywoman? I want to include everyone. No, I'm actually not. I'm, I'm showing you what you should do by raising your hand. I am not a handyman. Sorry, I was not raising my hand to go along with that. I'm actually the opposite. In fact, when I was a kid, though, it was what interesting. My dad was not in construction. We didn't, like, have a workshop in our house or anything like that. But for some reason, I was fascinated by that show that came on PBS called The New Yankee Workshop. The guy, Norm Abrams, he had the flannel shirt in every single episode. And he would build these, these tables and chairs. And you could, like, you could believe this guy could build anything. I don't know what it was, but there was just something comforting about this and calming about this flannel shirt guy just working with wood and building things. It was kind of interesting. In fact, I loved it so much that I just fell in love with the terminology, the machinery, the finished products. I kind of envisioned myself that I could do those same things, use miter saws and dovetails and biscuits and whatever else he talked about and make this Quaker furniture, which honestly a kid from Georgia has no idea what Quaker furniture is, but it sounded cool. And I envisioned it. But the funny thing was his reality was way different than my visions for it. Because fast forward to me trying to be a handyman, and it's more like this. It's more like I'm surrounded by Ikea parts, and I'm trying to translate Swedish instructions while putting together this nightstand that's probably not even made of wood, and it's going to fall apart in three months. That's reality that I'm dealing with. In my mind, it seems so much better. So yeah, I'm not exactly a handyman. However, I have gotten better. I will say I have gotten better. I've improved over the years, and here's how I've improved. It's one word, two syllables, YouTube. Oh, see, I'm not alone. You guys, you guys discovered it too, right? I'm not, it's not my secret. See, YouTube has changed things. See, now whenever I go to fix something or make something, I go to YouTube first. And I watch a video. And those videos give you, they give you, they give you pictures. They give you images. They tell you things that the instructions don't tell you. They tell you things that where you find out the instruction book, it was actually lying to you. It was just messing with you the whole time. And you wonder, now I know why I couldn't fix it because they purposely lied to me in the instructions because the guy on the YouTube video showed me something totally different and it worked for him. And it just revolutionizes everything. It's like all of a sudden I go from being this guy who can't do anything. I'm like changing light fixtures in my house and not electrocuting myself, which is impressive. I'm also like, uh, uh, I mean, I'm fixing my washing machine. I'm just doing all these things. And it's all because of YouTube. I'm watching these videos. It's like, it's crazy how this website has empowered my inner handyman that I did not know existed. So it's like, before it, I was without a clue. And now it's like, I actually have a little bit of confidence. It's like, yeah, I can take that on. I can do that. I can build that table. I always wanted to, well, maybe if I found a YouTube video, I could, but I don't know about that. But I could do a lot of things. And I like the confidence that comes from feeling like I can actually do something. Whereas before, felt totally clueless. Now, that's nice for being a handyman and fixing stuff around your house, but you ever wonder, you ever wish you had that same kind of YouTube confidence when it came to life? 
You know, like, like if, as, as if you could like somehow watch a video and then it would just tell you exactly what to do in any given situation or what to say in any situation. Because sometimes we don't always feel like we know what to do and what to say in those moments. And we kind of wish we had that same level of confidence to believe, like, yeah, if I just say this or do this, I can get it right this time. Because sometimes we don't always get it right. Or at least we're not sure if we can get it right. But, but we know we want to. It's like... It's like me. It's like I had this vision, you know, when I wanted to fix stuff. I had this vision of what I wanted to do, but on my own, I just couldn't figure out how to do it. But, like, we all have a vision for where we want our lives to be. Like, if I asked, if I did, like, a poll and we all raised our hands, but you don't have to do this. But if I did, if I said, who wants to be a better, you know, husband, wife, coworker, parent, whatever, I think everybody's hands would go up. I'm confident we all want that in our life. No one's like, yeah, I'd really like to be a jerk more often. That's not the kind of thing most people would say. But even if we went to a more important question than even being like a wife, parent, all this stuff. What if you said, if I said, I bet if I asked you guys, who who in here really wants to be a better Christian, a better follower of Jesus? I bet hands would go up all over again. Because we all have this vision like, yeah, we would like to be that. But the problem is, is sometimes we're not always sure how to get there. I mean, we, we have a vision. We have a hope. We, you know, it's like me watching them build something. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to do that. I just have no idea how to do it. And, and we kind of feel the same way sometimes. It's like, yeah, I'd like to be a Christian who can do, you can really do exactly what the Bible says and, and just totally live for God in every single way. But if I'm being honest... You know, maybe you're saying to yourself, I don't exactly know how I get from A right here to B over there. And that's a, that's a challenging place to be. It's why sometimes I feel like we struggle with our Christian walk. It's not from a lack of desire, but it's a lack of really understanding how you get there. And sometimes misunderstanding how you get there. Because sometimes our past experiences kind of set us up for failure because we've maybe tried and failed in the past. It's like some of the things I tried to fix in the past and couldn't made me less confident to go forward the next time. That's how we feel sometimes in life. When we're not quite getting it, then we're not sure, should I try again? Can I try again? Could I even do it? You know, and this is not, I'm not just talking to people here who are brand new Christians, who have just said yes to Jesus. I mean, this can be true for those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time. We're still trying to, can we do this? Can we really, I mean, we want to, but can we? In fact, I think the more you follow Jesus, the longer you do it, the more you want to be there, but you're not always feel like you're getting there. And that's a frustrating place to be because sometimes we have this assumption that other people get it right 100% of the time. I always laugh when, when Pastor Allen talks about Miss Joy because we all kind of think she gets it right 100% of the time. <laughs> and we have people like that that we see and we assume they must always get it right. And we assume we must always get it kind of wrong. And that just kind of makes us feel worse. And, and so we're kind of just wondering sometimes, are there Christians who are the cans and ones, those of us who maybe are destined to be the cans? The ones that just can't get it. We're just always going to kind of miss out, just miss the mark. But it's really important to answer the question of how you can become a better follower of Jesus. Because 
it really has a practical impact on your life. Like this is, we're not talking about theory here. We're talking about things that are actually going to make a difference in your daily life. Because if you're a better follower of Jesus, you're going to be better at your job. You're going to be better in your relationships. You're going to be better as a parent. You're going to be all around a more successful person if you're a better follower of Jesus. Like this is a practical thing. If you want to get better in life, be a better follower of Jesus. That's really the best way to move forward in life. And so we would really all like to do that. But sometimes we try and then just kind of are left sort of scratching our heads just wondering, is it just not meant to be? Is it just those super Christians? Are they the only ones that can really get where I wish I could be. But here's the good news. See, I think any person sitting here, any one of y'all, me included, you, everyone, we, those watching online, any of us can do it. We can make that trip. We can become the kinds of people God wants us to be. And it's not because we qualify as super Christians, because here's the insider truth. There are no super Christians. They don't exist. We believe they exist, but they don't exist. They're like Bigfoot. You can't find them. <laughs> you see, we're all on the same level playing field. See, what enables us to be able to do what I'm saying to do, to be able to become what we envision of us following Jesus, to become that, what actually makes that happen isn't the qualities within us. It's what God does in us. It's him... God who empowers us to be able to make that leap, to become something that maybe we didn't think we could. He's the one who gives us the confidence to say, I can do it. I can actually move forward in life. And that's why I believe that any one of us sitting here can actually definitively answer yes. When I say, can you become a stronger, better follower of Christ? The answer absolutely is yes. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been serving Jesus, Every single one of us can say yes, which is really good news because that means every single one of us can walk out of here and begin to see better things begin to happen in their lives because they're following Jesus. This is why I say it's super practical. We're not only just talking about being followers of Jesus, we're talking about improving our lives. So we can turn those feelings of can't into to assurances that I can't. And the reason I say that is I didn't make it up. It's the Bible says it. And actually I want to show you where the Bible says it. Because I think it's really helpful to dig into something. To be able to see not only what the Bible says, but what it means and how it applies to us. So we're going to look at something the Apostle Paul wrote. Now it's really helpful to understand the Apostle Paul. Maybe if you uh, haven't spent a lot of time in church, he might be kind of a new guy to you. He wrote most of the New Testament. He was a guy who went around the Roman world setting up churches in places where people did not know about Jesus. So they came from backgrounds where they had no clue who Jesus was. And so he had to go into these places and not only teach them 
what Jesus had done for them, but he had to also teach them how to live differently because they had all grown up doing things the opposite of the way God wanted them to live. And so they were having to learn this whole new way of acting, of being. I mean, being a follower of Jesus to them was like a night and day experience from their daily life. So you can imagine it was a challenge. So Paul wrote this letter one time to a group of Christians that lived in the city of Ephesus and in the cities around Ephesus. And he wrote them this letter. And in this letter, he spends about three chapters really giving them some practical insight into what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like what is entailed in that? What, is, what should you do? What shouldn't you do? But before he gets into that list of things that he's like, hey, you should be doing this, you shouldn't be doing that. Before he gets into that, I want us to focus on something he did. He actually prayed for them. And I think in reality, he wasn't just praying for them, but I think it's a prayer for us too. So we're going to look at that prayer beginning in Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 17. And here's where Paul begins to pray. He said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power, through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now, this prayer is not about what only super spiritual people can do. Paul's prayer is more about what God can do. And it begins simply with us, with him asking God to strengthen us with his spirit. The strength that we have to live the Christian life, the way for us to begin to be the followers of Jesus we want to be, doesn't start within us as if we somehow pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make ourselves into a Christian. Where it comes from is actually from the Holy Spirit. Because when we follow Jesus and we say yes to him, we receive the Holy Spirit and his help. And what the Holy Spirit enables to happen is for Jesus to dwell in us. And that word dwell in the Greek which is the New Testament was written in Greek. And that word actually carries this idea of a permanent residence. So when you say yes to Jesus, what you're doing is, and what Paul's praying is that we ask Jesus to move in, to take up residence. You know, you've probably heard people, if you've spent any amount of time in church, you may have heard people say that you, they've said something like, ask Jesus into your heart. When our son Nathan was a little guy, like, like a, toddler, like four or five years old, he, he, told, he asked my wife if Jesus got to his heart through his belly button. And he wasn't sure. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I can't speak to that. But it's actually a, a really, um, but saying asking Jesus in your heart is not a, it's actually kind of an appropriate thing because what you're essentially saying is you're asking Jesus to take up residence in your heart, to live in you for his presence, to dwell in you permanently, to be there and so that's a really important first step. You see, we're being strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus, his presence dwells in us, which is a necessary thing to begin the Christian life. But what happens when Jesus dwells in us is something really important. It says that we become rooted and grounded in love. So when you make Jesus the leader of your life and you invite him to take up his residence in you, then what happens is that begins to transform you. It begins to change you. It begins to uh, create these roots into who Jesus is, into his love. 
It actually reminds me of this conversation I had. So we have a, a guy on staff, and you, you've probably seen him out in the parking lot. His name's Mark Allen. He's a great guy. We love Mark. And uh, so he, but if you don't know Mark, here's something really cool about him. Is he's like an excellent tree trimmer. I've actually had him come to our house to do some of that. And uh, so he knows a lot about trees. He knows way more than me. All I know about trees is I'm constantly fighting pine straw and sap <laughs> all the time. That's what I know about trees. Now, he understands trees. And so we were talking a couple weeks ago because where we live a few months ago, there was a storm that came through, a pretty significant storm. It knocked down a tree. And I was telling him how I had these pine trees in my front yard, and I was kind of nervous about them getting knocked down in the storm. And he told me something kind of interesting about pine trees. He said they have these really deep root systems. And he said sometimes the pines can, they're, depending on the tree, the pines can, the roots of them can go as deep as the tree is tall. That some pine roots go down as much as 75 feet. It's, it's crazy. And so they have these really deep root systems which help them to withstand things. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Because living the Christian life is difficult if you're trying to do it outside of being rooted and grounded in Jesus' love. Because bad things are going to happen. You know, storms are going to blow. People are going to, you know, get out of sorts with you. You're going to have to depend on the roots that are built into Jesus if you're going to withstand the kinds of things that come against you. You have to be secure in Jesus' love. And that is what helps you to be able to respond in a way that matches what God wants you to do. You see, if you're just trying to do it within your own power, it's going to be really hard to do. Like if you just take out a, a list of do's and don'ts and you're, you, get, you, say, you say yes to Jesus and you're like, okay, I'm going to get my list of do's and don'ts and I'm going to just start doing them down the list. Well, if you try to do that just in your own power... It's not going to last very long because negative things are going to come your way and you're not going to have anything that will keep you secure. You don't have the root system built. But if you begin a little differently, instead of focusing on the list of do this, don't do that, but you start with Jesus and you are strengthened by the Spirit and you ask Jesus to dwell in you, to take up residence, and then you're rooted and grounded in him, then when negative things happen, you have security. You have strength. You have something that helps you to withstand the outside forces. When Paul was writing to these Ephesian people, you got to remember their situation. They're living in a culture where they don't fit in now that they follow Jesus. So they were going to be getting a lot of outside pressure on them. But it's not just that. They're human beings. So just like us, they also faced internal pressure in their relationships, in their families, in their work, everything. They were going to feel pressure outside and inside. And they needed something that was going to keep them grounded and secure and rooted so that whenever that pressure came, they didn't fall over. And that's the same thing that we need. We need deep roots so that we can withstand whatever the world throws at us. And that is we're grounded in Jesus' love. That's what enables us to be that Christian we want to be. But then Paul goes on to also pray this. He said in Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when you're strengthened by the Spirit, 
Christ is dwelling in your heart and you're rooted and grounded in love. What Paul wants us to do next and what he prays that we would do as Christians is to take a step back and sort of look at Jesus. To take in the awe and the wonder of Jesus and his love for us. When he talks about the height and the depth of his love, the length of his love, what Paul's basically saying is he's talking about the vastness of God's love, the unending quality of God's love, the immeasurable nature of Jesus' love for us that he showed on the cross. And have you ever stopped and just thought about how much God loves you? It's not something I honestly do nearly enough. Like, I, you know, if you ever get caught up in things that are going on in your life, problems, if you ever get caught up in, in situations or feeling like you're just failing, things like things are just not going your way, it's amazing how when you stop and you think about how much Jesus loves you, how it changes your perspective. It, it gives you a whole new outlook on life. You know, there's a, in, um, Paul also wrote a very famous chapter 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably, heard, even if you're not familiar with it, when I say that, you've probably heard it read at weddings. They read it all the time. You know, love is patient, love is kind, this whole thing. And we always read it at those things because we talk about that's the kind of love that we should give to other people. But one time I heard someone say that in order to be able to do the things that Paul writes in that chapter about how to love other people, you have to first recognize that everything that you read in that chapter is the way in which Jesus loved us first. So it's really, it's amazing when you take a step back and you recognize how much he loves you, it enables you to then go out and love. The perspective matters. So we were fortunate last year, we got to go to the Grand Canyon. I'd never been before. Maybe some of you guys have had a chance to do that. My wife's family wanted to go out there. So we actually went out there and we got to visit and spend a few hours out there. I have to say, I was pretty impressed. I mean, nothing replaces that that feeling you get when you stand out of the edge and you look at I actually have a picture I took while we were there. I think we might have it. I'm not sure. If we don't, I'll describe it for you. I'm pretty good at it, so I can, I can make you feel like you were there. So the canyon seemingly spread in all kinds of ways, in miles around. I mean, it was just you looked out and just went forever, it seemed like. I mean, you get kind of woozy, you know, if you step too close to there. You just kind of like, you know, you get that feeling. It's like, whoa. Because you would look out there and you see it, and you just looked at how vast it was. And as I kind of stood there looking at it, I had this new appreciation because I'd seen pictures. I mean, you know, every kid who goes through school sees the Grand Canyon at some point. But it just kind of felt ho-hum. Yeah, okay, it's cool. It's a big hole. That seems neat. But then you get there and you see how vast it is and how, how huge it is. And you see this natural wonder and you're like, wow. Because you see, and some of the pictures I have, there's, you can see it in perspective, people down near the edge, and I'm kind of, ta I was taking it up on top. And you see how small we are <laughs> compared to the Grand Canyon, how huge it is. And it changes your perspective and makes you realize how limited your perspective is in life. And I think that's what Paul's trying to do in this prayer. He wants us to get a fresh perspective of who 
Jesus is so that we can fully immerse ourselves in his love and experience his love so that we can truly understand who we are and how we fit in this world and that we can really understand what God wants to do in us. Because it changes our perspective when we see and experience the love that Jesus has for us. And that's what motivates us to be different. You know, when you genuinely see the depth that Jesus loved you with, then all of a sudden you seem a little bit smaller than you did before. It's like our self-importance shrinks. And to be fair, our self-importance is often what gets in the way of us living the life that God wants. I mean, I, would not, I don't want to admit that I do this, but I have to admit, I do this. Sometimes I mix up the importance. I emphasize my importance and de-emphasize God's importance. You know, you get really wrapped up sometimes in what you're going through or what you're feeling. And it's like you forget who God is and you maximize who you think you are. And whenever you get that mixed up, you're not going to live life the way that God intended for you to live. And things aren't going to go well for you. And you're going to feel like you can't live that life. You're just going to kind of feel like you're failing. Like, oh, here I go again. I can't live the life God wants me to live. But all the while, what happens is, is your just perspective is distorted. You're maximizing and minimizing the wrong things. So I like to... Um, what I want to do is recognize God for who he is. Because when that happens, things change. In fact, it reminds me of a story just real quick from the book of Isaiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he had this vision of God one day. It was what started his ministry as a prophet. He had this vision of God where he saw God in heaven. And actually, this is how he reacted to that. I thought it was worth bringing up in Isaiah 6, 5 through 8. He said, and I said, woe is me, I am lost. This is Isaiah talking. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then it goes down to verse 8, and it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. So when you have an awareness of the depth and the power and the greatness of Jesus and his love for us, it actually spurs you on and moves you into action. It's actually what enables you to want to do stuff for Jesus. You see, it actually gives you this bolt of energy to say, I want to go out and do this for God. It, it actually motivates you to see how much God loves you and also see how big the God is that you serve. Because it's like, you know, if you have, the big guy, if you have a big guy on your side, you're much more willing to go out and fight, right? Because you can trust in the person beside you is much stronger, much bigger, and much more capable. And so you're like, yeah, if he's with me, I can do this. Because you trust him. I mean, it's easier to forgive someone when you're aware of all the ways that Jesus has forgiven you. It's easier to love. These are things that, that we were asked to do. It's easier to love your enemies when you realize that Jesus loved us and forgave us when we were his enemy. It, it, I mean, it's easier to be patient when you recognize how patient God was with you. And the behavior of a Christian being rooted and grounded in love is what enables us to do these things that God asks us to do. So if you don't have a vision or a picture of God's love, then it's hard to go out and live it. And that's why I think Paul was so intent on praying that, that we get a real accurate picture of who Jesus is. And then Paul wants us to experience this reality together. 
He actually calls them the saints, but he's talking about all the Christians. He wants them to become aware of God. And it actually becomes better when we do it together. In fact, that's what we're doing tonight. We're together becoming aware of the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. And there's actually something really special that happens when we share that experience together. We actually grow stronger than if we were individually doing this. We were intended as Christians not to just be individualists, but we were intended to be a community of people. So when we work together and we lift each other up and build each other up, together taking in and seeing God's presence for what it is, then it helps us to grow even further. That's why it's so important that you are with Christians. Because you need each other to be the people that God wants you to be. And in Paul's prayer is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. You know, there were many Old Testament passages that Paul knew very well that talked about God's glory. This is just one of them. In Psalm 72, 19, King David wrote, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May he, the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So Paul's saying that when the Holy Spirit empowers us so that Jesus dwells in us and we are rooted and grounded in his amazing love, then what we are filled with is God's glory. You see, we the Christians are actually what those Old Testament authors were writing about. When they wrote about God's glory going out into all the world, we're the fulfillment of that. When we go out and live our lives for Jesus. Because everywhere we go, we're showing the world Jesus. We're like signposts. People see you when you're living the life the way God wants you to. When people look at you, what they're actually seeing is a signpost that's pointing to heaven. Because you're showing them what God's plan is. And so actually it's pretty amazing because we get to be filled with God's presence so that we can go out and show people what God's presence looks like. And that's the Christian life. It's really that simple. We just get to go out and show what God's put inside of us. See, we're not having to, this is where it gets really helpful to understand that we're not conjuring up unconditional love. We're not just pulling it up deep from somewhere within us as if we could somehow just unconditionally love everyone out of our own selves. What we're doing is everything that we do when we live as a Christian and we walk and follow Jesus, everything we do is simply drawing off of what God's already put inside of us. And we're living it out so that other people can experience it. That's what makes it... Easier to where we say, yes, we can follow Jesus. We're demonstrating the love that God put inside of us. And we're, we're, that's why we're able to be peaceful in anxious situations. We're not developing peace. We're drawing the peace that God put inside of us. That's why we can be patient when we're in line at the DMV or the post office, which is really hard to do. Not because we're of our ability, because I know that would go really badly. The patience comes out of the fullness of God that's inside of you. So living the Christian life isn't mustering up fake feelings. It's naturally allowing what God put inside of you to come out. And that amazingly allows you to love, to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And I love how Paul ends his prayer in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. He says, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So maybe everything I've said to you so far seems a little far-fetched. 
are impossible to believe. Like maybe you think this might work for others, but not for me. Like maybe you still feel like you're a can't. I can't do it. I want to do it. I can't do it. But that is why this prayer should really become a daily prayer that you pray for yourself. Because you need to be reminded that Jesus has the power to work within you to accomplish more than you could even ask. When Paul was praying this, he basically was saying, hey, this prayer I just prayed, it's really good and it's full of great things. But God can do even more than I just prayed. It's actually, he's bigger and better than even what I could come up with for this prayer. And whatever you think the most that God can do for you is, let me tell you, he can do more than that. He can go above that. He can go beyond that. So that you're able to do the things God calls you to do, not because you are powerful, but because God is able to do far more abundantly than whatever you could ask or imagine. That's why you're able to live the life that God wants you to live because you are able, because he makes it possible. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are what he made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. God made you in order to do good things. He didn't make you to fail. He created you for a purpose. He created you to be a masterpiece, to show people his glory and his goodness and his power. That's why we're able to do these things. So then Paul goes on after praying this prayer to tell the Ephesians this in Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So you have a calling to show the world who Jesus is. It's in how you love people, how you share with people, how you connect with people, how you speak grace and truth to people. It takes many different aspects. But all the ways that the Bible describes for us to live, that's our calling is to live that way. But it's possible not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And that's why every single one of us, because we have access to this God who loves us so deeply and so amazingly, that's why each one of us can say, yes, I can be that person. I can live worthy of the calling that God has given me because you are able to do it. You can live worthy of that calling because God says you can. So if you believe that you can't, what I'm telling you is to believe that you can. We're running a race But that race is not something that we started. It's something that Jesus started. In Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the the one who starts the race and he's the one that's going to make sure you finish it. And he's cheering us on, telling us, keep going because I'm helping you. I'm giving you the power and the confidence to believe that you can. So that's what I'm saying to you. If you feel like you can't be the person that God's called you to be, I'm telling you, Throw that to the side. It's a lie from the enemy because you can. You can be who God's called you to be because he did the work in you. You just have to take a second to recognize what's already there, what he's already given you, to invite that into your life into a greater degree so that each and every day, while it may not be always the easiest thing, it's possible each day to get up and succeed and to say, yes, today, I'm living out the calling that God has given me. And that's why I have hope and that's why I'm excited because there's no one in here who's excluded from what Paul prayed. He didn't pray it for a group of, quote, super Christians. He prayed it for all Christians, including us. And we can believe that all those can'ts that are in our minds, 
can tonight be turned into I can because of Jesus. Let's bow our heads. First things first, if you're here and you've heard us talk about the awesome things about following Jesus, but you're like, I don't, I haven't followed Jesus. I haven't said yes to him. I haven't made him the leader of my life. Then that's the best decision that you could make tonight because it's going to begin you on a journey that is going to change your life in ways that you can't imagine. So if you're here tonight and you've never said yes to Jesus, but tonight you want to say yes for the first time or recommit your life to following him, then I just ask you to simply raise your hand. We're not going to make you walk to the front or to stand up, do anything. We're just going to pray a prayer in just a moment. Thank you for those hands. So we're going to say a prayer, and I'm just going to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me so that we can join together like Paul prayed as a family and to be able to support those who are saying that, making that decision tonight. So just repeat after me. Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. And I have a new relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Let me pray for everyone here. Lord, I just thank you for each person here that you've set them on a course to go out and live the life you've called them to live. That you have empowered them to go out and to succeed. To be able to do the things you've called them to do in the Bible. And to make a difference in this world each and every day. I thank you that you give us the power to say, I can live this life for you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.